This is Chuck. And this is episode one of a well long overdue podcast that I have been anxious to launch for really longer than I'd like to say out loud. And and here we are. Here we are. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and delighted to have my beautiful boyfriend Ari at my side, who was beyond instrumental in making this fantasy become a reality. So let me tell you how I met Ari. I was in Boston visiting my friend Dawn. I just had a um, a Sophia from Golden Girls moment. Picture it. Picture it. Exactly. Boston. <laughs> April 2019. April 2019. I'm in Boston visiting my dear friend Dawn, who you will all meet and know Dawn as this journey continues. Um, and Ari was in Boston celebrating the bat mitzvah of a very, very dear childhood friend's daughter. And we met on Shh, don't tell people. one of the apps, we'll leave it at that, and tried for three days to get together and both with busy schedules because, you know, I'm traveling from Philadelphia and he's traveling from California. It may have been Christian Mingle. <laughs> it was not Christian Mingle, I, I promise. <laughs> and no offense to Christian Mingle. I mean, I support any app that gets you the joys that you need in your life. Nonetheless, it was not Christian Mingle. Um, anyways, so Ari and I finally connected our last night in Boston. And we just had this magical, it was really, really like effortless. Like I, it was just effortless on every level. It was effortless emotionally. It was effortless uh, conversationally. Like it was just like we knew each other forever. And it was so, it was such a great feeling, but yet I lived in the East Coast, he lived in the West Coast. I was absolutely convinced that it would have been a moment in time. And literally the day later we're talking, two days later we're talking, three weeks later we're meeting, I don't know where it was, Virginia or here. I don't know what, how the, pro the progression began. At the time Ari's company had him traveling much more than he currently is obviously due to pandemic. Um, but with that said, all of a sudden it was something, all of a sudden it was something. And it was in those early, those early meetings that again, the whole podcast conversation comes up, the madness of my life, like just all of this stuff that just put us in a very interesting spot. And here we are a year and a half later. And it has been really a very, very fulfilling journey for both of us for a lot of reasons. I want you to explain where you were in your life, Ari, when I entered your life, and then I will talk about where I was when you entered my life. And, you know, hopefully our, our listeners can get a better picture of what a saint you are and why you've not killed me yet. But that's a whole other story. Wow. That's a tall order. Where I was in my life, April of 2019. You know, how to be succinct about it. Uh, you know, maybe the same way that I shared with you that first night when we went out to dinner because somehow where I was in my life was kind of momentous. It was like a moment in my life. And yet all elements of that kind of got brought up in, like you said, effortlessly in one conversation. So where was I? I was 45 years old. I was in a great place surrounded by my 
closest childhood friends um, in celebration of one of their daughters bat mitzvah, like you said, um, and had just spent three or four days of what I consider to be the company of the best people I know. Um, and so I was on an emotional high in that respect. There's also something about having watched my own daughter go through a bat mitzvah and also my friend's children do the same that kind of gets me every time. So a lot going on. It's a beautiful chapter. It's something It's something to behold. In my heart. Um, I was a year into my recovery. Um, and in a place where I flashed back to my prior trip to Boston, to the bar mitzvah of my same friend's son several years back and the way I spent that time there versus the way I was spending it on this trip um, relative to being active in my addiction versus in recovery. And I was in a place where I was open to meeting someone having been divorced for a little bit of time and in a good place mentally to really be receptive to anyone or to be of any use to anyone. So I was in a great place in my life. A great place. Um, and really open. You know, yes, we met on the app, but we started texting really right away. We got off the app and we were texting right away. And now I like that. gave up my phone number. What was I thinking, people? Creeper. Now, creeper. So we texted and texted and texted back and forth, and we didn't meet for three days, three plus days, three but days. with a lot of texting. And my friend said, Look, what? Who cares? Like, <laughs> what is this like desire to like meet this guy? Um, and I remember my answer, and it was because you never know who you're going to meet. And so true. That's exactly where I was in my life. I was so, in that mindset, and so I was open to it, and um, so there I was. Where were you? Well, clearly, life? after all that, I was lucky, because if you could lay your eyes on her, you'd understand exactly why I'd say that. Handsome, striking, um, piercing eyes exudes such a level of intelligence, which I just find just intoxicating. You're very sweet, and I'm kind of liking. <laughs> I'm kind of liking the idea that this medium allows everyone who's hearing this <laughs> to picture what well, that sounded like clearly. versus the reality. But thank you. Uh, but but truthfully, in the eyes of the beholder, but in, in the eyes of many beholders, uh, Ari is a strikingly good-looking man. Um, where was I in my life? I was definitely. Um, I had had a number of uh, single years. I was, you know, nearly near to five years of. Um, Alan's death, my my first husband of 13 years, um, had died due to a series of complications of, through cancer and had a um, aneurysm that exploded during surgery and it took his life. So I had spent, you know, five years kind of, or almost five, well, five years kind of re redefining who I was and what was going to work for me in my life. And 
you know, up to meeting Alan, I really was primarily a single guy. Like I had, you know, a boyfriend here and a minute there, but nothing really that, that resonated or made me think about what it was to be coupled. So, you know, proceeded with 13, you know, for the most part, good years. And then there I am, a single man. Single and, and ready to mingle. Single and ready to mingle, but single in a, in a way that, you know, here I come back to the plate. I come back to being a single person in the, in the generation of apps, in the generation of online dating and like, how do you go about this? So anyways, through the handful of years that led me up to meeting Ari, I really had gone on a, a pretty extensive exploration and self-discovery about all of the things that would make, make a relationship work for me. So... After our, you know, missed attempts, but tremendous texting up until the meeting. When Ari and I sit down at dinner and Ari just opens up and tells me about being divorced, father of three, uh, you know, in recovery and, and all of this. And I'm like sitting at the table and where some people would have been like white knuckled, I was literally like, oh my God, I have met like probably the best candidate I could ever meet to start a relationship with. So to all the listeners, <laughs> if you're looking to meet somebody, pack up all your baggage, roll it into that first date. And go see Chuck. <laughs> and lay it all out on the table because somebody, they may be a little sick, but somebody is going to want to look at all that and look and think that it's, fantastic but i looked at all of that not at all as baggage i looked at all of that as this is someone who's willing to expose himself this is someone who is willing to say this is me this is my shit this is what comes with me if this is too much for you in the first 45 minutes then i'm not the guy for you so i was so struck by the rawness that i already presented and I was that person, you know, I was not that person the day that Alan died, or I was not that person month, three months after Alan died. But I would say six months after Alan died, I was like, balls to the wall. Here's all the facts. These are the things that will work for me. These are the things that will not work for me. This is, this is what makes me happy. This is not what makes me happy. And in that process, I really learned me. And... My life has been that, like it, it, for all of the knocks and kicks and pushes and punches, if you can't stand up and be like, okay, what, what the fuck was that about? Like, why did I have to experience that? So here I am sitting with this handsome man who said, listen, I'm a recovered addict. And I'm thinking, wow, now this is a guy that's, he's lived some rough shit and how attractive that made him to me because in his wholeness, he could talk about it. It was nothing that, that involved shame or uncomfortableness or secretiveness. It was like, here it is. Here are the facts. Some people would have gotten up and been afraid of that. I was not afraid of that. That's why, you know, we only have so much power. Like there is, there's a universe that puts people in the right places at the right time. And here we are. So here we are. Here we are. And here I am sitting with my very first boyfriend. I know, right? It's crazy. I'm the lucky one, though. It's, and always, and it's always good to be the first boyfriend. Crazy times. Okay, so in the spirit of 
lessons, because you've talked a lot about lessons. As we were talking, I thought that maybe I could ask you three questions related to lessons as a way to wrap up the segment. And maybe that would spark a little bit of an idea around how you could close future segments with people with whom you've had conversations or dialogues or whatever. So here's my three lesson-related questions. Shoot. What is the biggest lesson that you have learned from the pandemic so far? Um, that the absence of physical contact, whether it be, you know, your friends, whoever in your home, is certainly far more manageable because of the techno the technological world that we, we live in. And I was learning that lesson up to the pandemic because I had been in a relationship with Ari and across the country. So, so much of our daily conversations are either WhatsApp or FaceTime or whatever. So we see each other every day. We start each other's day together. We end each other's day together, but we're physically not together, but we have the visual component of that. And I think in the pandemic, I never really felt isolated because of that. And it made me think at some point in my life, I could live overseas or I could live in a far flung corner of the world and I would not feel at all removed from the people that fill my cup. Okay. Question number two, as you wrap up your first episode, what is the lesson that you, you that you extract from from that tonight what do you take away from this process tonight i'm not necessarily sure that it would be an exact lesson tonight i think that here we are more in a in a, a learning curve so i don't know that i know the lesson of what this podcasting experience will bring me what i do know is that it leaves me excited it leaves me challenged it leaves me wanting to say more wanting to hear more wanting to share more so i think it puts me in a place where i feel very content that i'm finally doing something i should have been doing and my third question what is your earliest earliest memory of having learned your lesson where you were told different and you just had to do it your way and then you learned your lesson oh my i need to think about that one give me a second did i stump you with that you didn't stump me but i think the question is is asked in a way that it's not a lesson that i learned that i learned in a sense that had i done it the other way would it have been better I think the first lesson that I learned that was intense, I was probably five years old. We lived in, in a, the new house that my parents built when I was a child. And how our property lines separated us, the kids that lived really property line touching us went to a different school. So as a little kid, my group of friends, my brother, his sister, my brother, my sister, their older friends, we would all walk to this little corner store. But on the other side of the street, a group of kids would also walk to the same little store, but we didn't know those kids. They didn't go to our school. 
And there was a little boy in that group of kids. And I can remember so innocently saying to all of these older kids, well, he's the prettiest little boy I ever saw in my life. Like literally, I looked at this little blonde boy and thought how beautiful he was. And so innocently, I was being, you know, affectionate and forthright about his appearance. And from that point forward, I was ridiculed about being a gay boy. Like, what a sissy. Like, why would you say that? So I think the lesson was, did I need to, should I have not said that? Should I have been secret? And the life lesson was, that was virtually impossible for me. Even at five years old, I could not contain myself from saying what was truthful. I know no other way. I have spent 53 years putting whatever emotion I have, whatever argument I have, whatever, whatever congratulatory conversation I have, whatever it may be, it always comes from the most honest part of my existence. I know nothing else. So the lesson there was, although I thought I did something wrong at the time, reflecting back, I did nothing other than be me. And that's really all any of us can be. All any of us can be is just who we are. So I want to say, one, thank you, Ari, for the questions. Two, thank you, Ari, for the equipment. Three, thank you, thank you, thank you all for listening to this first babbling brook of This Is Chuck. <laughs> Until we meet again, good night.